Chapter Seventeen of the Flirt by Booth Tarkington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The influence of a familiar and sequestered place is not only soothing; the bruised mind may often find it restorative. Thus Hedrick, in his studio, surrounded by his loved bric-a-brac, began to feel once more the stir of impulse. Two hours' reading inspired him. What a French reporter, in the Count's bedroom, could do, an American youth in full possession of his powers, except for a strained knee and other injuries, could do. Yes, and would. He evolved a new chain of reasoning. The ledger had been seen in Laura's room. It had been heard in Laura's room. It appeared to be kept in Laura's room. But it was in no single part of the room. All the parts made a whole. Therefore, the book was not in the room. On the other hand, Laura had not left the room when she took the book from its hiding-place. This was confusing. Therefore, he determined to concentrate logic solely upon what she had done with the ledger when she finished writing in it. It was dangerous to assume that she had restored it to the place whence she obtained it, because he had already proved that place to be both in the room and out of the room. No, the question he must keep in was, what did she do with it? Laura had not left the room, but the book had left the room. Arrived at this inevitable deduction, he sprang to his feet in a state of repressed excitement and began to pace the floor, like a hound on the trail. Laura had not left the room, but the book had left the room. He must keep his mind upon this point. He uttered a loud exclamation and struck the zinc table-top a smart blow with his clenched fist. Laura had thrown the book out of the window. In the exultation of this triumph he forgot that it was not yet the hour for a scholar's reappearance, and went forth in haste to search the ground beneath the window, a disappointing quest, for nowhere in the yard was there anything but withered grass and the rubbish of other frost-bitten vegetation. His mother, however, discovered something else, and, opening the kitchen window, she asked with surprise, "'Why, Hedrick, what on earth are you doing here?' "'Me?' inquired Hedrick. "'What are you doing here?' "'Here?' Evidently she puzzled him. She became emphatic. "'I want to know what you are doing.' "'Just standing here,' he explained in a meek, grieved way but why aren't you at school this recalled what he had forgotten and he realized the insecurity of his position oh yes he said school did you ask me didn't you go to school he began to speak rapidly didn't i go to school well where else could i go just because i'm here now doesn't mean i didn't go does it because a person is in China right now wouldn't have to mean he'd never been in South America, would it? Then what's the matter? Well, I was going along, and you know I didn't feel very well, and— He paused, with the advent of a happier idea, then continued briskly. But that didn't stop me, because I thought I ought to go if I dropped, so I went ahead, but the teacher was sick, and they couldn't get a substitute. She must have been pretty sick. She looked so pale. They dismissed the class? And I don't have to go tomorrow, either. I see, said his mother. But if you feel ill, Hedrick, 
hadn't you better come in and lie down i think it's kind of passing off the fresh air seems to be doing me good be careful of your sore knee dear she closed the window and he was left to continue his operations in safety laura had thrown the ledger out of the window that was proved absolutely obviously she had come down before daylight and retrieved it or she had not proceeding on the assumption that she had not he lifted his eyes and searched the air was it possible that the book though thrown from the window had never reached the ground the branches of an old and stalwart maple now almost divested of leaves extended in rough symmetry above him and one big limb reaching out toward the house came close to laura's windows triumph shone again from the shrewd countenance of the sleuth laura must have slid the ledger along a wire into a hollow branch however no wire was to be seen and the shrewd countenance of the sleuth fell but perhaps she had constructed a device of silk threads invisible from below which carried the book into the tree action he climbed carefully but with many twinges finally pausing in a parlous situation not far from the mysterious window which laura had opened the night before a comprehensive survey of the tree revealed only the very patent fact that none of the branches was of sufficient diameter to conceal the ledger no silk threads came from the window he looked and looked and looked at that window then his eye fell a little halted less than three feet below the window ledge and the search was ended the kitchen window which his mother had opened was directly beneath laura's and was a very long narrow window in the style of the house and there was a protecting stone ledge above it upon this ledge lay the book wrapped in its oilskin covering and secured from falling by a piece of broken iron hooping stuck in the mortar of the bricks it could be seen from nowhere save an upper window of the house next door or from the tree itself and in either case only when the leaves had fallen laura had felt very safe no one had ever seen the book except that night early in august when for a better circulation of air she had left her door open as she wrote and hedrick had come upon her he had not spoken of it again she perceived that he had forgotten it and she herself forgot that the memory of a boy is never to be depended on its forgettings are too seldom permanent in the case of things that ought to stay forgotten to get the book one had only to lean from the window hedrick seemed so ill during lunch that his mother spoke of asking dr sloane to look at him if he did not improve before evening hedrick said meekly that perhaps that would be best if he did not improve after a futile attempt to eat he courteously excused himself from the table a ceremony which made even cora fear that his case might be serious and going feebly to the library stretched himself upon the sofa his mother put a rug over him hedrick thanking her touchingly closed his eyes and she went away leaving him to slumber after a time laura came into the room on an errand walking noiselessly and noticing that his eyes were open apologized for waking him never mind he returned in the tone of an invalid i didn't sleep sound i think there's something the matter inside my head i have such terrible dreams i guess maybe it's better for me to keep awake i'm kind of afraid to go to sleep would you mind staying here with me a little while 
"'Certainly I'll stay,' she said, and observing that his cheeks were flushed, and his eyes unusually bright, she laid a cool hand on his forehead. "'You haven't any fever, dear. That's good. You'll be all right to-morrow. Would you like me to read to you?' "'I believe,' he answered plaintively, "'reading might kind of disturb my mind. My brain feels so sort of restless and queer. I'd rather play some kind of game.' "'Cards?' "'No, not cards exactly. Something I can do lying down.' "'Oh, I know. You remember the one where we drew pictures and the others had to guess what they were? Well, I've invented a game like that. You sit down at the desk over there and take some sheets of paper. I'll tell you the rest.' She obeyed. "'What next?' now i'll describe some people and where they live and not tell you who they are and you see if you can guess their names and addresses addresses too yes because i'm going to describe the way their houses look write each name on a separate sheet of paper and the number of their house below it if you know it and if you don't know it just the street if it's a woman put miss or missus before their name and if it's a man write esquire after it is all that necessary for the game it's the way i invented it and i think you might oh all right she acquiesced good-naturedly it shall be according to your rules then afterward you give me the sheets of paper with the names and addresses written on em and we-we he hesitated yes what do we do then i'll tell you when we come to it but when that stage of his invention was reached and laura had placed the inscribed sheets in his hand his interest had waned it appeared also his condition had improved let's quit i thought this game would be more exciting he said sitting up i guess he added with too much modesty i'm not very good at inventing games i believe i'll go out to the barn i think the fresh air do you feel well enough to go out she asked you do seem to be all right though yes i'm a lot better i think he limped to the door the fresh air will be the best thing for me she did not notice that he carelessly retained her contributions to the game and he reached his studio with them in his hand hedrick had reached the teens and he was a reader things in his head might have dismayed a borgia no remotest glimpse entered that head of the enormity of what he did to put an end to his punishing of cora and to render him powerless against that habitual and natural enemy laura had revealed a horrible incident in his career it had become a public scandal he was the sport of fools and it might be months before the thing was lived down now he had the means as he believed to even the score with both sisters at a stroke. To him it was turning a tremendous and properly scathing joke upon them. He did not hesitate. That evening, as Richard Lindley sat at dinner with his mother, Joe Varden temporarily abandoned his attendance at the table to answer the front doorbell. Upon his return he remarked, "'Messenger boy must have been in a big hurry. Wouldn't wait till I get to door.' "'What was it?' asked Richard. "'Boy with package. Least, I reckon it were a boy. Call back from the front walk. Say he couldn't wait. Say he left package in vestibule.' "'What sort of a package?' 
Middle size kind of big package. Why don't you see what it is, Richard? Mrs. Lindley asked of her son. Bring it to the table, Joe. When it was brought, Richard looked at the superscription with surprise. The wrapper was of a heavy brown paper, and upon it a sheet of white note-paper had been pasted, with the address, Richard Lindley, Esquire, 1218 Corliss Street. "'It's from Laura Madison,' he said, staring at this writing. "'What in the world would Laura be sending me?' "'You might possibly learn by opening it,' suggested his mother. "'I've seen men puzzle over the outside of things quite as often as women. Laura Madison is a nice girl.' She never volunteered similar praise of Laura Madison's sister. Mrs. Lindley had submitted to her son's plans concerning Cora, lately confided, but her submission lacked resignation. "'It's a book,' said Richard, even more puzzled, as he took the ledger from its wrappings. Two little torn places at the edge of the covers. Looks as if it had once had clasps.' "'Perhaps it's the Madison family album,' Mrs. Lindley suggested pictures of Cora since infancy. I imagine she's had plenty taken. No, he opened the book and glanced at the pages covered in Laura's clear, readable hand. No, it's about half full of writing. Laura must have turned literary. He read a line or two, frowning mildly. My soul, I believe it's a novel. She must think I'm a critic to want me to read it. Smiling at the idea, he closed the ledger. I'll take it upstairs to my hangout after dinner, and see if Laura's literary manner has my august approval. Who in the world would ever have thought she'd decide to set up for a writer? I imagine she might have something to write worth reading, said his mother. I've always thought she was an interesting-looking girl. Yes, she is. She dances well, too. Of course, continued Mrs. Lindley, thoughtfully. She seldom says anything interesting, but that may be because she so seldom has a chance to say anything at all. Richard refused to perceive this allusion. "'Curious that Laura should have sent it to me,' he said. "'She's never seemed interested in my opinion about anything. I don't recall her ever speaking to me on any subject whatever, except one.' He returned his attention to his plate, but his mother did not appear to agree with him that the topic was exhausted. "'Except one?' she repeated, after waiting for some time. "'Yes,' he replied, in his habitual preoccupied and casual tone. "'Or perhaps two. Not more than two, I should say. And in a way you'd call that only one, of course. Bread, Joe.' "'What two, Richard?' "'Cora,' he said, with gentle simplicity. "'And me.' End of chapter 17